Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We hope it'll be a good day for you, a safe one. Be careful. Harvest season getting underway. We want to have a safe harvest, so everyone be careful. Coming up today, a lot of biofuels news. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We have the latest meat export numbers. We'll talk with Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And we'll talk markets with DTN's lead analyst, Todd Holtman. All that coming up today on AOA. But we'll start things off with a look at the news. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report joins us from, I believe, North Dakota. Right, Jerry? That's right. I've been at, I've been at my, my farm, which is about 35 miles northeast of Bismarck. Uh, but uh, I'm headed back to Washington today because there is so much happening there. But in North Dakota, it's all green now after uh, some wonderful rains, and the weather is beautiful. I just wish the rain had come a month earlier so the crops would have been better. Yep, a lot of people feeling that, that's for sure. All right, well, let's look at some of that uh, news in Washington, D.C. Is the House Democrats uh, pushing hard now for their spending package, and we're hearing more and more from agriculture. They have a lot of concerns with how it will be paid for. Uh, yes, they do, and I think the big issue is this, this question of uh, the stepped-up uh, stepped basis in the estate law that currently allows land, as well as other assets, to be valued at the time of death, and any capital gains tax, tax is paid only on the value at the time of someone's death and the eventual sale price uh, that the heirs might, uh, might have. Uh, there's a House Ways and Means Committee meeting today, and I'm wondering if it's going to come up. Uh, and, uh, of course, we still have the question of what will happen on the Senate on that subject. But I think that is, that's, the, that's the biggest issue. Uh, Secretary Vilsack uh, wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal in which he said the Biden administration will protect the farmers, that if the farm stays in production with the family, it won't be uh, subject to that taxation. Um, but, of course, I'm sure the farmers say, yes, this is going to be a complicated process. We're going to have to hire lawyers and, and, uh, and accountants, and we still don't trust the system. So I'll be very interested to see how this goes. Yeah, I think you hit on it right there. A lack of trust. I don't think uh, the ag community is buying what uh, the administration is selling as far as assurances that they're going to be okay on this. Farm Bureau's talking about their deep concerns about this, national corn growers and others. I would think even some House Democrats are going to have some reservations about this. They have to be hearing from uh, the folks back home. Oh, yes. But, of course, the problem with, uh, with uh, raising the issue with House Democrats is there are so few Democrats from rural areas. Uh, that's why I think the, the bigger action on this will be in the Senate, where, of course, every senator represents uh, farm territory. And Senator Debbie Stabenow, who chairs the Senate Ag Committee, is also on the Senate Finance Committee. So we'll have to see, uh, you know, we'll just have to see what, uh, what, what happens there. But when we talk about the, you know, the farmers not trusting this process, 
At the same time, the national pork producers today have called for the use of this reconciliation bill uh, to change the H-2A program so that workers can stay all year. So it isn't as though the farmers don't want anything out of it. We also hear that there, that the House Ag Committee is going to put in some money for biofuels pro- programs. So there are things that agriculture wants out of this. It isn't, it isn't like they're saying, oh, just don't do this bill. Uh, they just they want, they have some things they want, and they have some things they don't want. Yeah, things they want, but is the price tag too high? That's what uh, will be the big question. We wait to see what the answer is. Meanwhile, the White House says uh, that meat industry consolidation is the reason we're seeing higher grocery food prices. How's that playing? Well, I don't know how it's playing yet. Uh, my question is, is there anything you can do about it? Uh, I saw these statements yesterday from Vilsack at the uh, uh, you know, at the White House press briefing, uh, and and yet I, you know, they're still talking about doing studies, et cetera. So I don't know uh, whether whether this becomes anything more uh, than a statement and a and a kind of pressure on the meat companies to either reduce prices to consumers or raise uh, raise the prices that they're paying to the to to the ranchers. Uh, it's very hard to see exactly how this can proceed at the present time. Now, of course, the Justice Department is working on an investigation of concentration in agriculture, and we'll see where that goes. That did not do well under the Obama administration, but maybe they'll be tougher in the in the Biden administration. We'll just have to see about that. But I, I don't want to say I'm skeptical, but I'm just keeping a wary eye on this as to whether anything can come out of it other than just a lot of talk. Yeah, well, and my question would be, yeah, there is, there is certainly concern about uh, consolidation in the, in the meat industry, but that's not something new. Uh, the higher prices, that is relatively new, the, this big increase. So, I mean, the, the consolidation was there before that. So why all of a sudden now? I, I would ask about the timing of it. Uh, the timing you mean the timing of the White House statement or the 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 timing of the of the higher prices uh, higher prices uh, yeah yes uh, but you know they're they're uh, now of course the North American Meat Institute says uh, that the reason for higher prices is that labor costs have gone up it's hard to get labor uh, but uh, you know uh, who knows uh, I think that the meat companies are charging what they think they can get. And if the consumers stop buying, well, then the prices will go down. So we'll we'll see uh, we'll see how this is. But it is certainly true that they have been paying low prices uh, for the uh, for the for the meat uh, uh, recently, uh, and I'm sure their profits are fine. And my, and I don't doubt that labor issues are a part of this, but for the White House then to say it's just because of consolidation when some of their own and Congress's spending and some of their action has led to the labor shortages or labor hard to get labor uh, I don't I find it kind of hypocritical just to say it's just because of uh, meat industry consolidation I think that that would be just part of it not all of it well I can see that viewpoint of course on the spending on the on unemployment uh, benefits that is ending now. So we are going to see 
whether uh, whether this affects the, the labor situation, uh, not just in the meat industry, but in other parts of agriculture. There is also the argument that it's been very difficult for women to go back to work, especially because um, of COVID and the uh, you know children being at home. Also, some people are afraid to go into the marketplace. On that point, I will say that I'm noticing the farm groups are saying a lot more now uh, that people should get vaccinated. So we'll see how that goes, too. Yeah, you better get back to Washington. There's a lot to cover. So uh, we'll talk to you again soon, okay? All right. Thanks, Mike. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Lots of biofuels news up next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Heading to Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then walk across the aisle and visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 1106. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 1106 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Grand Island at Husker Harvest Days. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Joined now by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, good to talk with you again. We've been doing this for a long time. I don't remember a year where there's just been so many days of just uh, <laughs> so much biofuels news. Unfortunately, not all not all of it good, but just huge issues. Seemingly, you're dealing with one right after another here. It really does feel that way, Mike. I mean, it, there there is no... Uh... <laughs> No dull moment in the ethanol industry these days, mm-hmm. and it's it seems like it's been that way for a little while now. Yeah, okay, let's sort through some of it. We'll start with the small refinery exemptions. EPA wanting to uh, uh, look at these again, but they haven't said they want to vacate them, uh, and that's what you'd like to see happen. Uh, bring us up to date on the latest here. Yeah, th- that's right. You, you might remember that uh, a little more than two years ago, it was August of 2019, the Trump administration came out and they granted 31 small refinery exemptions all in one day in one fell swoop. Uh, they did it with just a one-page memo, uh, so there were no details, there was no information or, or record supporting EPA's decision to grant these exemptions, uh, and it really uh, was, felt like a bomb that was dropped on the RF, uh, RFS and, and it kind of resonated uh, through the industry, and, and we're still feeling the effects of, of the demand loss from those exemptions. So at that time, RFA and some other groups challenged those exemptions in the D.C. Circuit Court. We argued that EPA's actions were arbitrary and capricious. Uh, but that case was really put on hold during the, the other litigation that was going on around SREs, the 10th Circuit Court case in particular. Uh, but now that that case is behind us and it's been through the Supreme Court, uh, EPA is, is facing some choices regarding these 31 SREs that they issued for for the 2018 compliance year. And so rather than going through more litigation, EPA has just asked the D.C. Circuit Court, hey, can we voluntarily take those 31 exemptions back, uh, bring them back to the agency for reevaluation? And on the surface, that sounds like great news. It's it's encouraging to see EPA uh, pulling those exemptions back to take another look. But what we're concerned about is they're not giving themselves any kind of deadline um, and they're intending to leave those exemptions in place as they conduct this reassessment. And we know how long it can take EPA to get things done sometimes, and we're worried that these things go, you know, go into a black hole and we never see uh, these 31 exemptions again, and, and so they would just remain in place. Um, so that's been our concern. That's why we actually opposed EPA's motion to remand those 31 exemptions without vacature. We've said if you're going to bring them back to the agency to reanalyze, then just invalidate them. You know, vacate those exemptions at the same time. And then as you reassess them, if you determine that maybe there were a, a couple of small refiners that uh, uh, that uh, deserved these exemptions, then you just re-grant the exemption. That's what we've asked EPA to do, and that's what we uh, uh, communicated to the court. Because otherwise, they can just sit on them. Nothing happens. They stay in place, so you haven't gained yep. anything. Uh, so when do you expect uh, to hear something on this? 
Well, so so the court is is now looking at the the motions that we filed. EPA filed their motion, obviously uh, asking for remand. The refiners filed a motion saying that the court should not remand those exemptions and they should uh, leave them in place and and just um, you know allow this litigation to to move forward. So we expect to hear something back from from the court in the next several weeks, uh, maybe maybe next couple months, uh, that will really help us determine the path forward. On these uh, on this litigation and, and these exemptions, and, and hopefully uh, we'll know something from EPA by then uh, in terms of how they intend to move forward with the small refinery exemption program. We've still got, you know, 60 around 60 pending small refinery exemption petitions for 2019 and 2020, and now a couple are trickling in for 2021 uh, that EPA hasn't touched yet. So hopefully they'll make some decisions around some of those starting very soon. And the frustrating part is the longer it drags out, the oil industry benefits, they win because the exemptions are in place. So uh, they're all That's for right. dragging it out uh, because it's to their advantage. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, let's hit some other topics here. Um, the administration now really pushing the renewable aviation fuels. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? What kind of an impact could that have for the industry? Well, it's actually something we're we're pretty excited about, Mike. Um, and you're you're right. The the White House today, later this afternoon, will be uh, holding a roundtable uh, conversation and an event at the White House. It will be virtual. Um, we've been invited to be part of that, uh, and there will be some announcements made about this administration's goals around sustainable aviation fuels. Um, and, and really, I mean, they look at the aviation sector. Uh, and people don't typically understand that, you know, uh, we burn about 30 billion gallons of jet fuel in this country every year, uh, and it is a large source of carbon emissions. Um, I don't think we're going to be electrifying airplanes anytime soon. So there is a real push to lower the greenhouse gas emissions from aviation fuels, and ethanol to jet uh, technologies are really coming a long way, and, and the economics are improving. And so we think we, we could very well see a day sooner than later where uh, some ethanol is being converted into jet fuel and is being blended with traditional aviation fuel uh, to help uh, reduce emissions from, from the aviation sector. Uh, you know, so we, we expect to see, see and hear a lot more about this initiative uh, in the in the weeks ahead, and again, we see it as a large opportunity for a new market uh, for for ethanol producers. And that has potential for sure. Uh, what are your thoughts on Secretary Vilsack also talking about finally some uh, uh, assistance coming to the biofuels industry? This has been a long time coming as far as some financial aid. What can you tell us? What do you have any details on this yet? Well, it is very long overdue. Um, the ethanol industry was left out of the the first several rounds of COVID relief that were approved by Congress and distributed by USDA. Uh, we finally got uh, biofuels included in this latest round of USDA COVID relief assistance, um, but it still hasn't been distributed. And, and frankly, Mike, we still don't know the details on when uh, when those funds will be distributed to the industry. Uh, we heard Secretary Vilsack say back in June that up to $700 million had been sort of set aside uh, for biofuel producers, 
and that, that it was their hope that they would get that uh, funding distributed within 60 days. Well, you know, 60 days came and went, and we still haven't heard anything more definitive from the department on when to expect uh, that relief uh, funding. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's still very much needed in the ethanol industry, Mike. Uh, we got a lot of producers that are still um, still recovering from, from COVID or attempting to recover. And, and now we've seen ethanol production slide eight weeks in a row uh, here in the most recent eight-week period. And we're back you know, to below 14 billion gallons of, of production on an annualized level. That's the lowest we've seen since that uh, sort of polar vortex in, in March. So um, the industry is, is still hurting and, and could definitely use that assistance. A long lag time between the time government officials announce someone's going to get some money and the time it actually gets there. <laughs> Something to keep in mind is, is more spending bills are being debated right now. Uh, one, right. We've got about a minute left, Jeff. One more topic. Your efforts uh, in California, the key market and their low-carbon initiatives out there, and trying to show them how biofuels, ethanol in particular, can play a part in helping them achieve those goals. Yeah, Mike, I, I think what's happened in California over the past decade uh, is, is an example that people should pay attention to uh, when we talk about where we're headed at the federal level. All we hear about in D.C. today is electric vehicles, and we're not going to have liquid fuels, and we don't need ethanol, and we don't need biofuels. Um, that's the same thing California was saying 10, 12, 15 years ago when they began their low-carbon fuel standard. And, and here we are today, ethanol has played a tremendously important role in helping them achieve their low-carbon fuel standard goals. Uh, it's produced more credits under the LCFS than any other, uh, any other low-carbon fuel, definitely more than electricity. Uh, so we're, we're hopeful that that model that's been in use in California uh, will, will uh, provide a roadmap for where we want to go in terms of federal low-carbon fuel standard policy. Now, there's things we don't like about the California program that we hope would be fixed. Uh, if we kind of export that that uh, program to the federal level. But overall, it, I think, has really demonstrated that ethanol can and should be part of any effort to reduce emissions from the transportation sector. All right, Jeff, as we said, lots going on in the biofuels world. Thank you so much for being with us and bringing us up to date. Good to talk with you. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we talk markets with DTN's lead analyst, Todd Holtman. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Heading to Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then walk across the aisle and visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 1106. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 1106 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Grand Island at Husker Harvest Days. 
DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. You are listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Yesterday, the FSA surprised everyone by accidentally releasing their September report two days early. The report was scheduled to be released after the USDA reports on Friday. The FSA numbers added nearly a million acres each to corn and beans and half a million acres to wheat plantings. The forecast across the Corn Belt looks mostly dry until Monday or Tuesday next week. Tropical Depression Mindy is expected to bring strong winds and heavy rains towards south eastern Georgia and coastal South Carolina today. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn is trading two and a half cent lower at 508. The March contract down two and a fraction at 517 and a half cent. For soybeans, the November contract down six and a half cent at 1272 and three quarters. The January contract down seven and a fraction at 1281 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat December down eight and a half cent at 701. Kansas City wheat December down 10 and three quarters at six 94 Minneapolis spring wheat December down 16 and three quarters at 877 and three quarters the March contract down 15 and a fraction at 867 and a fraction of a cent in cash cattle country it's slow to start this morning following yesterday's light to moderate business asking prices are around $125 to $126 in the south and $205 plus in the north hogs are holding but will need to see further support from cash and cutouts soon or lower prices could unfold looking at at lean hog futures on the board of trade the october contract 15 cents higher at 87.55 the december contract up 47 at 81.02 for live cattle october up 42 at 123.52 december up 27 at 128.92 feeder cattle september up 50 cents at 156.55 october up 35 at 159.62 you're listening to aoa i'm kirsten rawl for the american ag network 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And good to talk with Todd Holtman, 
DTN lead analyst. Todd, thanks for joining us. Good to see you at Farm Progress Show last week. Yeah, my pleasure, too, and uh, uh, nice to meet you in person finally, Mike. I appreciate that. I know that uh, those that uh, were stopping by for your uh, for your seminars had a lot of questions and a lot of talk. Uh, you looked at China and a lot of other things. We'll get to some of that. First of all, we're yeah. waiting for more USDA numbers. Looks like uh, USDA couldn't wait either. <laughs> some numbers <laughs> got out a little early. I'll tell you, there is no shortage of drama for this report. It's uh, better than a soap opera here. Uh, those FSA numbers were supposed to come out on Friday about the same time as the WASD estimates, but here they popped out Wednesday by mistake. And uh, I think to their credit, FSA uh, acknowledged the mistake and kept the numbers posted for all to see because once the dog, or once it's, it's out of the bag, uh, we should all be able mm-hmm. to see it. So the early tip is that corn acres are going to be raised, uh, possibly 2 million acres by my calculations. Uh, soybeans just up slightly. I don't think it'll have a dramatic effect on the uh, soybean estimate, but uh, certainly yes on corn and wheat acres also coming in higher than USDA is estimating this year. So there's another possible bearish adjustment. I was going to say, what's market reaction going to be, you think? Well, uh, of course, yesterday we saw a sell-off, and early this morning we saw a sell-off, but corn and beans are, are holding up a little better now. So maybe uh, a bit of the panic is over. But I think when the actual numbers come out Friday, if those corn numbers, uh, if the acres truly are raised two million, uh, then I think we're going to see a carry around 1.6 billion bushels as opposed to 1.24, and uh, that definitely will have a bearish impact on prices. Okay, but, if I was in the conspiracies, know, I'd say maybe those numbers slipped out early. Somebody wanted them out to kind of start uh, <laughs> easing the, uh, you know, spreading it out a little bit, you know, instead of all hitting all at once. Yeah, it, it's hard not to think that. And, of course, on September 1st, they allowed uh, uh, publicly to say that they were uh, open to the notion of changing those acres in the month of September. Normally, we don't get those revisions until October. So uh, you're right. There has been some anticipation here maybe to help the market ease into a bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so meanwhile, harvest is starting to get underway, so we're going to start getting actual numbers here very soon. Yeah, uh, and in the south, it's actually uh, picked up quite quickly despite uh, Hurricane Ida going through. Uh, we've got Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi all very uh, deeply into their harvest now, and of course that's moving north. And uh, we even saw some combines around the Farm Progress show last week, so uh, things are, are getting closer to uh getting some actual uh, weights out of the field. So when these numbers, as they come in, um, what's more likely to happen? I mean, already figured in or some big surprise? Uh, you know, before to, or before this week, I should say, I would have said uh, I didn't expect much surprise. And the reason I said that is because we had such a good planting season. Most of the work was done early. I felt that there was plenty of time to assess the plantings ahead of the June 30th report. So, uh, you know, it wasn't like 2019 where we were scrambling to try to uh, figure out what was going on. There was plenty of time for that acreage uh, report to be uh, fairly accurate in June. But now uh, this latest wrench from FSA uh, 
throws a bit of a bearish surprise in there that uh, I, I wouldn't have expected 10 days ago. Talking with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. Meanwhile, China continues to buy. Yes, uh, and more soybeans uh, at the moment. Uh, they made another purchase this morning, 4.8 million bushels. Uh, they're not quite up to last year's pace. We're still, uh, overall, new crop sales are still down about 25% from a year ago. But remember, last year was an extremely active year, and uh, it's still very early. We're only nine days into the new season, so uh, let's not be too harsh <laughs> on the comparison mm-hmm. uh, just yet. But uh, our U.S. prices are priced right. We are the uh, more affordable soybean right now, and I don't see any uh, slowdown in terms of China. In fact, their stock market just hit its highest price since February yesterday. Their economy is rebounding. They seem to be shaking off all the COVID concerns. Their uh, soybean price in November closed at a new high for the year or just this morning uh, again. So I, I don't see any reluctance on the part of demand for soybeans from China this year. Their economy rebounding. Ours still has some questions. Yes, uh, overall, uh, the trend is up, and uh, we're going to continue to have these Delta variant concerns and interruptions, and, and uh, you know, we'll keep watching the gasoline demand. We get another report today at 10 o'clock uh, this morning from the Energy Department. We'll keep watching all those uh, clues, but overall, the jobs are improving, uh, which is good news, and what we really need uh, to get going for the economy, again, is to get people back to work. Two big issues, though, inflation and these supply chain disruptions. Yes, and those two things go hand in hand for the most part. And it's uh, quite frankly, it's difficult to separate out because uh, we know that there's a lot of monetary stimulus coming from the Fed and and from uh, just the fiscal budget uh, as we try to work our way out of this pandemic hole. So there's, there's that aspect lending to inflation expectations. But as you say, the supply disruptions, uh, I think, are really causing the worst of the problems right now. And it's still going to take time uh, for those uh, congestions and shipping problems to work out. Probably not until uh, early or mid next year are we going to see better relief uh, from, from those Uh, just a lot of logistical problems that we have going on still resulting from the pandemic. Yeah, and things to watch this harvest season in in relation to those things. Uh, What happens, are parts going to be available as farmers need them during harvest season? And as harvest really picks up in the Midwest, uh, the ability to, to move that grain out because of problems in the Gulf, problems out on the West Coast of those ports. Yes. Uh, the, the first part of the, your question, Mike, I think we're going to need a lot of bailing wire and duct tape this year. And, you know, for some guys, that's just not going to cut it because you're right. Uh, there is uh, problems getting parts. And uh, so, boy, if that combine breaks down, things are, are vulnerable. And you might need your neighbor's help this year. As far as the river traffic, I think eventually uh, in the next month, I think we're going to see a lot of progress, and that's good news because that's about the time our shipments typically really pick up uh, for soybeans. So I, I still think we're going to be okay on the actual shipping side down the river. Could it be interesting to watch these basis levels during this harvest season? 
Yeah, they've, they've actually cracked quite a bit. You know, just a month ago, we were looking at cash corn prices in the mid $6 across most of the Midwest. Now we're looking at mid fives to some areas having a four uh, in front of those cash prices. So they've come down quite a bit. There's some harvest pressure here as normally is. Of course, Hurricane Ida uh, didn't help in that regard. So we have taken a bit of a hit here the past several weeks, but this is uh, getting to the time of year, early October officially, uh, is usually about the time when corn and soybean prices bottom out. So this kind of all goes along with the, the normal seasonal pattern here. In your conversations with farmers, do you get the feeling that uh, there's been a lot of crop already sold, already booked, and uh, maybe just keeping some to kind of hang on to a little bit to see what the market does? Well, I think for the most part, the old crop, yes, uh, has been gone uh, quite a while. And, of course, a lot of guys are kicking themselves. They sold it too early last year. As far as making forward sales in the new season, I get the sense that not a lot of that's been done, uh, quite honest. Mm -hmm. Even though we have some good opportunities, uh, this whole thing about uh, uncertainty over just how much China needs and how much they're going to buy, I think, is uh, paralyzed. Uh, those forward sales a bit. And then, of course, for guys in the western corn belt, if, you know, you had drought as a big concern, you didn't want to get out there too far ahead of uh, your production potential and and sell too much when you know you've got a big weather threat. So I think all that's kind of conspired to keep forward sales a little lower than expected this year would be my best guess. What about selling, starting to sell next year's crop? Uh, what What are you recommending there? Yeah, uh, nothing officially from me on that yet. And typically, uh, this isn't normally the time of year when I would want to uh, look at making those sales. But uh, in January, certainly, uh, we can uh, tend to get uh, a better outlook there. The only thing that would tempt me right now is the fact that we are still looking at at good prices historically. Uh, So I, I do understand that. But I'd really like to get out of this kind of harvest focus period. We're, we're all so focused right now on just how big the crop is, and now here we're looking at a report where they might raise acres. It, it's just, I don't think, good timing uh, to make those new crop sales just yet. All right, so we will uh, see what USDA comes out with the second time. We had a sneak preview. We'll see what the, <laughs> the, the, the whole thing looks like here soon. Thanks a lot, Todd. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Take care. DTN Lead Analyst Todd Holtman. Well, we're moving a lot of meat around the world. The the meat export numbers continue to look very good, even with some of the headwinds, uh, COVID-related and others that the the market faces. We're still moving a lot of meat. We're going to get the very latest meat export numbers. Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation will join us next to share those numbers. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet 
and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Heading to Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then walk across the aisle and visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 1106. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 1106 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Grand Island at Husker Harvest Days. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. 
That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer fueled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month, we check in with the U.S. Meat Export Federation for the latest meat export numbers. And as we've talked about for months now, despite the headwinds, despite the challenges of the pandemic and other things, our meat export numbers have stayed very strong. Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation joins us now with the latest numbers. Joe, thanks for being with us. And I guess we can thankfully say that trend continues, right? The uh, the numbers are good? Yes, thanks, Mike. The number that... The numbers that we just received are from July and the number that really jumps out at us is the new value record for beef exports uh, almost 940 million dollars and uh, when I saw that I I thought back it's only been a few years ago that uh, it was a pretty big deal to reach a billion dollars in a month for combined beef and pork exports and now we're approaching a billion just in in beef exports so seeing that value record was uh, very gratifying and pork exports were fairly strong too, steady with last year in volume, uh, but value up uh, quite a bit and a really big jump in pork variety meat exports. So a really strong month overall. And then when you break it down, of course, when you're comparing to a year ago, 2020 was such an uh, extraordinary year and and different in so many ways, of course, because of the pandemic. So uh, what when you look year on year, what does that tell you? Right. On the beef numbers, the the year-over-year increases are are maybe a little bit inflated because the first half of last year, especially the second quarter, uh, beef beef exports were impacted uh, pretty heavily on the demand side uh, from the food service restrictions, but also on the supply side. We had a couple of months there where slaughter was down and supply was down, and so that limited our exports. So what uh, is really meaningful is to look at where we are compared to our record year for beef exports, which was 2018, and we're, uh, we're quite a bit ahead of that pace, too. So on the beef numbers, I encourage people to kind of look at that uh, comparison to 2018, and we're up about 6% in volume and, and uh, 18% in value compared to our record year. So that tells you that uh, even compared to the strongest year pre-pandemic, uh, beef exports are, are really on a, on a great pace. Uh, last year was a, a record year for pork exports. Uh, but that was driven mostly by growth in China and in China. And so going into this year, we said, you know, we have a big challenge ahead of us. We know that China's demand will be down because their domestic 
production has recovered to a, to a large degree from African swine fever, and so we're going to have to make up that difference in other other markets, and we've been able to do that with uh, with uh, pork exports slightly ahead of last year's pace in volume and up quite a bit in value, about 8%. So I think there was a lot of skepticism as to whether we could really make up for that uh, anticipated decline in China, but the other markets, especially here in the Western Hemisphere, have stepped up, and uh, and we're on a record pace on pork exports as well. Yeah, that's a big story. I mean, we talk so much about China, obviously, because uh, there's such a huge market, but the diversity of markets we have now and these other markets that uh, you've worked hard to develop are really coming through as well, and that's a big story. We're talking with Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Uh, Joe, obviously... The demand is there. We, we, we've talked for years and years about building demand, growing demand, and that's always a, a priority, obviously. But one of our biggest challenges now is supplying that demand, the, the, the logistical challenges, right, of getting the product to these uh, countries that are wanting it. Yes, transportation is a is a big barrier for us right now. Uh, a lot of delays getting product out, especially on the West Coast, uh, and so that it kind of makes these numbers even more remarkable. Uh, I would say that when we look at these value numbers, you have to you have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because I do believe that the overhead cost of of getting products overseas. Uh, has gone up, and and actually even even the product that we truck to Mexico and Canada, I would say that the transportation costs are up. Uh, but when you look at those value numbers going up, it tells you that the demand for our product is so strong that the buyers are are willing to absorb a lot of that increased cost because the product wouldn't be getting to those overseas markets if there wasn't still uh, if it wasn't still profitable to move them there. And so uh, while this isn't a great situation, we're, we're we hope that the the transportation pinch uh, eases. Uh, in future months, uh, especially going into next year, uh, we've, it's, we've, to a large degree, we've been able to overcome that, and that uh, really speaks well to the, the strong demand from our international customers. What about competition? Uh, how are, what are we watching there? Obviously, we must be doing pretty good, but there's always uh, room for improvement, and you have to fight off those competitive challenges. Uh, what's shaping up as we move forward to the new year? Well, on the pork side, as China's demand eases, we would anticipate seeing a lot more European product uh, going into other Asian markets, and uh, so we have been prepared for that. Uh, that's why we we certainly we certainly want to uh, see our our exports to other Asian markets increase, and they and they are. Uh, but it really puts an emphasis on those Western Hemisphere markets, and we've had, and, and they have really stepped up. Uh, Mexico is up from last year. Central America, pork to Central America, set a record last year, and we're still way up over that. Uh, and a nice comeback in Colombia, which is a key market for us. Those are markets where we are really the dominant supplier, and so it's really a matter of driving demand, meeting those price points, getting those, getting that product down there. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're really happy to see those markets step up, and we're and we're certainly holding our own in Asia as well. We're seeing an increase in most of our Asian markets, other than China, uh, but we do anticipate we'd see a lot more European product going into into those markets uh, as as China's demand eases. On the beef side, Australia's supplies are admittedly down, and that's providing a little bit of a tailwind for U.S. beef in Asia. Uh, they are in a, Australia's in a hurry 
preferred rebuilding mode, and uh, so keeping a lot more of their uh, females into the breeding herd, and so and so that's provided a bit of a boost for us. But even so, uh, we're seeing really strong demand in our our mainstay markets of Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan, and of course a big boost from our uh, improved access to China. Very good, Joe. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.